Hello, and welcome to Storytime with Kanji's Gal. My name's Ambika, and today I'm excited to start laying down some groundwork on Hinduism for all of us. I hope you're having a great day so far, wherever you're listening from. Whether it's the morning and you're on your way to work, you're taking a break, or maybe you're chilling at the beach. I just hope this episode reaches you well and that you're as excited as I am. All right, let's get started. On a fundamental level, I'm pretty sure that most Hindus can agree that God is one and that God encompasses pretty much everything. It's absolute, formless, has a universal soul, and we know him slash her slash them as Brahman. God really has no pronoun in Hinduism, so I'm flexible about it and will probably say him or her from here on out. But please, please don't get mad at me. I only have good vibes when I'm talking about it. Anyways, this universal soul has a division that connects to us directly, and that's our individual and personal soul, Atman. If you're looking at Hinduism from a purely spiritual perspective, the whole point of it is to connect your personal, individual soul with the universal soul of the whole universe. I like to visualize myself plugging into like the outlet of the universe. Anyways, this is pretty deep stuff and it takes a lot of work to get there. We can talk more about the spiritual aspects of Hinduism later, maybe in a mini-sode, but I'm mainly here to tell you the stories I learned about growing up. I forgot a lot of them while I was cramming down the Greek and Egyptian mythologies we learned in school, but I'm finally sitting down to take a shot about learning my own cultural stories. Besides, I'm kind of totally over hearing mine taught to me as an elective while everyone else's culture is part of the standard curriculum. The hard part about this is, though, that we can't really call them Hindu mythologies, because unlike the super cool Greek and Egyptian ones we were taught in core curriculum, the Hindu narratives are still living and breathing, and worshipped today by millions of people all over the world. So, if I ever call the mythologies on accident, please know that I'm not trying to discount these stories or their validity, and I actually really just mean to say narrative. Hinduism is a living, breathing religion, and so are these stories. Alright, let's start. Before I begin to tell you some of the super cool stories of the Hindu gods and goddesses, let me try to lay down some groundwork on the kinda sorta family tree we've got going on here. I have to say kinda sorta because to be honest, when it comes to understanding the relationships between gods and goddesses, you kinda just have to know. Sometimes we'll have a story about a goddess and she's renamed about five times and she's got maybe three different sets of parents, but she's still all her other names and still has all those parents. So you really just have to learn to roll with it. Also, it's important to mention that even though there are millions of gods and goddesses, and Hinduism is typically considered a polytheistic religion, it's also notable to think of it as a monistic religion. Monism means that all the gods we're talking about here actually just are different facets to the one universal god, Brahman. I like to think of it as like a cube, and the cube is God, and all the different sides of God are on the, all the sides of the cube, if that kind of makes sense. It's not limited to nine, but I hope you get what I mean. I guess you can also think of it in terms of tolerance because Hinduism recognizes other religions as valid pathways to God too because they're all just different and viable ways to get to the same absolute truth. That's why, if you're going by the book, it's fundamentally a no-hate zone. But, like other fundamentally tolerant religions, humanity took that idea and ran with it, so that's why history tells a different story. And we see that play out in violence today. And the word fundamental gets attached to strict constructionists who are low-key just doing really bad stuff. But, once again, I'm really just here to tell y'all stories and their connections with what's going on today. Anyways, let's get back to the groundwork laying. Alright, so we've got the universal soul, Brahman, who we've already talked about. But then we've also got the personification of Brahman into the Hindu trinity, 
also known as the Trimurti. These guys are Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Brahma is the creator, Vishnu is the preserver, and Shiva is the destroyer. Each of these gods has a female aspect to them or a feminine counterpart to balance them, which we call Shakti. Brahma has Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge, music, and the arts. Vishnu has Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth and prosperity. And Shiva has Parvati, the divine mother. Most of these gods also take on other forms, like how Parvati is linked to Durga or Kali, or like how Vishnu has different incarnations, like Rama or Krishna. But each of these gods and goddesses have their own defining traits and super cool stories, and I'll get down to those later when I have individual episodes on them. For now, though, that's the basic foundation of who most of these stories are linked to, and pretty much any story I tell will have some connection to either Brahma, Vishnu, or Shiva, or their counterparts, so please keep that noted and keep it in the back of your head while we talk about other stories. Let's take a quick break, and I'll lay down some more groundwork on the iconic attributes connected to the Hindu gods and goddesses. Alright, we're back from our break. I hope you like my really bad ukulele playing, but I'm recharged and reloaded, and now I'm here to explain some of the iconic attributes to the gods and goddesses that come up in pretty much every story. First thing on our list of things to talk about is anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism is another word for describing the manifestation of different beings as animals. This happens sometimes in stories when the gods come down to earth, but it's also notable to mention that some of the gods and goddesses have powers that can help them shift back and forth into different forms. That action isn't actually under the umbrella of anthropomorphism exactly, but it's related and there's a better word for it and it's out there. Anyways, for example, Ganga, the goddess of the river, can take on the form of a woman and of a river. Her dad, Himavat, can take on the form of a man, but also take on the form of the Himalayan mountains. The idea behind gods and goddesses being able to take on lots of forms is pretty standard in the Vedic storyline, so don't be calling me out for being whack when I talk about how Shiva trapped Ganga in his dreadlocks or anything like that. Plus, when you compare it to stories of how Zeus in Greek mythology could come down to earth in whatever form he wanted, This concept doesn't seem too out there. Another thing on our list of things to talk about is the incarnation aspect of gods and goddesses and the people in their stories. Basically, as I understand it, in Hinduism, reincarnation is a concept where an individual's soul can be reborn on earth in multiple lifetimes as it works its way towards obtaining the unity between Atman and Brahman, the individual and universal soul that we talked about earlier. Once that happens, the soul reaches moksha, but before that happens, the soul has to work through its time on earth by racking up karma points. Karmic points can be good or bad depending on the person's actions on their time on earth, and that acts as a deciding factor for the whole reincarnation process. For example, if you're racking up good karma points, you get reborn in the next life in a form that's going to help you get closer to reaching moksha. But likewise, if you're racking up bad karma points and are an overall crappy person, the idea is that you're going to get reborn in another life in a form that's further from reaching moksha, and you've got to do your due diligence to climb back up for the life after that. I'm telling you guys this because sometimes the story will talk about key players being reborn into different families with different names, but the idea behind that is that it has something to do with this framework. Also, sometimes a god can be reborn on earth in a human form so that they can do something for humanity. And so I have to bring this up so it doesn't get too confusing when I tell you that Vishnu was reincarnated as Rama in his seventh incarnation and then also as Krishna in his eighth incarnation, both times to save the world. 
And I guess that's the basic groundwork to lay down before I get to the actual stories. I hope you guys can use this episode as a reference for when things get confusing down the road. If there's anything else I need to cover, like the way the gods and goddesses are depicted in major artworks, the timelines of things, social dynamics of these applications in the modern world, that was a mouthful, but I mean it, and I'm probably going to try to explain these things and applications later. Or the major events, I'll probably do little mini-sews in between as I go along. I was also thinking of maybe reading aloud my blog posts um, just for people who want to listen to those and me tell stories about myself, Um, but I'll title them as special episodes. In the meantime, I hope you like this little prologue, and I can't wait to start on my origin story of Gunga next week. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you're interested in more or you just want to be a real homie and support me, please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to my podcast on any of the mediums you're listening to me on because then my numbers go up and I can actually make more of these. Thank you, thank you, safe travels this week, and I hope only good things come your way.